We're going to turn tonight to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. The uh, title of this message tonight is The Conversion War, and I hope that you'll remember the title of the message as we go through the things that we're going to study. The Conversion War. Matthew chapter 4, reading at verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward unhungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. When the devil take, then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight as we meditate upon the scriptures, the things that are written, that we might think your thoughts after you. That we might understand the difference between the way we think and the way you think. And I pray that the end of these things might cause us to see you as you really are. And that if anyone is here that is not saved, that they would look to you as the only one that has the message of salvation and hope. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage that we've read tonight is, is very familiar, as is many to those that study the Bible, as we should every day. There are many things in the Scriptures uh, that we have heard preached on, we've read ourselves and maybe pondered, but one of the things that has been my experience is the multitude of things 
that I have overlooked as I have even spent time meditating on various passages. And so tonight, I want to bring some thoughts to you that I believe are tremendously important, at least in the mind of God, for you and I to understand. Um, I want to speak to you a little bit about angels. I want to speak to you about Lucifer. And the first sin that occurred in the universe, most of the time when we consider that issue, the first thing that comes to our mind is the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But that's not the first sin in the universe. The first sin in the universe had to do with the angels. It didn't take place on earth. Every indication is it took place in all likelihood in the third heaven because that's where the cherubim were. That's where the archangel Gabriel uh, had his primary ministry and it would be a ministry from that third heaven up there in the very presence of God. Gabriel said that that he stood in the very presence of God. And so uh, one of the things I've discovered, and it's a matter of just following the logic of what the Bible has to say, and um, the angels are created beings. It says that. They're created. And you cannot find one place in the Bible that says God created anything before the six days of creation. And so one of the questions that many have asked me, and as a matter of fact, it's been an inquiry on my part as well, is uh, when, when did the angels first come into being? And that's a, a curious question. Well, the Bible provides the answer. It tells us in Exodus, and I believe it's verse 11, that in six days the Lord created the heavens and the earth and all that in them is. It's interchangeable when the Lord talks about the heavenly host. It's interchangeable with the angels as well as the stars. And you'll find that if you do a little bit of study in the scriptures. I was uh, pondering some of the things that Dr. Henry Morris wrote, and um, he thinks that the angels were actually created sometime, probably uh, during that third day of creation. It took six days for everything to be created. Man was created on the sixth day. And uh, there is reason to believe that the angels were created before Adam and Eve were. And so they are created beings. And uh, sin entered the universe uh, as a result of rebellion on the part of 
of Lucifer, who was an archangel. He was an anointed cherub, uh, the pinnacle of God's creative power. And there are things that we're not told, but there are things that we are told concerning these beings, these angels. Um, they had a free will. God created them with a, th a free will. Uh, there seems to be something very special about man in that the Bible specifically says that he created man in his own image. To what extent angels reflect the image of God, we do not know. But they're so close in terms of the things that we read about them and what we discover about ourselves that there seems to be very little difference in a lot of ways. And one thing we realize is that God, in terms of his image, he has a free will. A lot of times we do not think about that, but God has a free will. The three persons of the Trinity have a free will. The Lord Jesus essentially established that fact when in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. You don't say something like that unless you have the ability to choose, to make a choice. And his choice was to not do what he would do, independent from God. His desire was to do entirely his Father's will. And so one of the things that we learn about the Trinity, and some of these things I have said before in previous messages, is that each of the persons of the Trinity are absolutely selfless. God is not a selfish person. He's a selfless person. And everything about him is an outgoing. He loves. It emanates out from him. Everything about his nature and his character and his personality is that of giving. He's very merciful. He's very gracious. And when we discover him as he is, he's incomparable. There's none to compare to him in terms of his personality and his nature and his character. He's so good and he's so loving. And so everything that we think about God, it needs to be in the context of that because this is God's revelation of himself, which is the only way you can know any personality, they have to reveal themselves to you in order that you might know the truth about them. And they have to be honest in that revelation. That's why the Lord told the woman at the well, they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. In other words, you've got to be honest. You've got to be truthful. You've got to tell the truth. And you've got to be honest. Well, God is that way. He does not lie. He cannot lie. And the only way that we can really know him is read this reference point right here 
which is the Word of God, which is one of the things that you discover in these first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4. The Lord Jesus rebuked Satan on three occasions, and each time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Folks, that is instructive for you and I. Because the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 55 that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. And so the question is, how can we know God's thoughts? And he tells us right here in Matthew chapter 4, it is written. It is written. It is written. If you want to know how God thinks, you've got to go to this book. There's no other reference point. And the most dangerous thing you will ever do in the course of your life is come up with your own idea about how God thinks or how he should think according to our reasoning capacity and what God should do according to our reasoning capacity. That is a serious, serious problem and it's what the entire Bible is about. And that's why I've given this message the title, The Conversion War. The Conversion War. And the reason is because Lucifer did not like the way God thinks. God, uh, Lucifer did not like God's ways. Well, the Bible tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts. And it turned out that God's thoughts were not the thoughts of Lucifer either. And he said, my ways are not your ways. And it turned out that his ways were not the ways that Lucifer thought they should be. And so the temptation in the Garden of Eden with uh, Adam and Eve was God's not telling you the truth. He's not as he has revealed himself to be. He has lied to you. I know that he has told you that you can eat of every tree of the garden but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I know that he has told you that in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. But it's not true. You shall not surely die. And so the first sin was before the temptation. It transpired in all likelihood in the third heaven, right up there in the midst of the heavenly hosts, of all of the angels that God had created, which included the cherubim and the seraphim. So there are many things about this subject that I do not know, but you have the same Bible that I have, and these are the things that I have discovered as I've studied the Bible on these matters. These are the things that I have learned. And so there are a couple of pages that teach us something about Lucifer, and I'd like for you to turn to one of them. It's Isaiah chapter 14. 
we'll learn something about the first sin. And we'll learn something about the conversion war. And it did not begin on earth. It began in heaven. So in Isaiah chapter 14, let's begin reading at verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? That did shake kingdoms? So here we have a passage that goes into some detail about the first sin. And you can see that the center of it was uh, Lucifer's fascination with himself. In contrast to God, who is selfless, you see how frequently he says, I will, I will. I will. He's self-centered to the core. One of the things that is alarming is what we discover in John's Gospel, and I believe it's chapter 8, where the Lord is speaking to the Pharisees, and he makes this statement. He said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. What the Lord was saying is an alarming thing. He's saying that your nature is identical to Lucifer. We usually think of Satan as being the worst personality in the universe. But the Lord lumps us all together as being just like him. And as a matter of fact, when you read the final chapters of the Bible, the first two occupants of the lake of fire is two human beings, the false prophet and the Antichrist. Lucifer is not cast into the lake of fire until a thousand years later at the end of the millennium. And so... To discover from this revelation, from this, the God of heaven, that we are like that is one of the most alarming things I have ever thought about in my life. That I have in my nature a satanic nature. And that is what the Bible teaches. And I do not like the way God thinks in my nature and I do not like his ways in my nature. And because of this, there's a conversion war 
And as Brother Jim has so uh, said in the past, it's been repeated so many times because it's a brilliant statement that God showed him. It is hard not to get saved. Because God will chase you your entire life. Because he loves us. Because of his mercy and because of his grace. He wants us to be converted. Which is the word we despise. We do not want to be converted. We love the way we think. And we think that our way is going to lead to a happier life than God's way. And that's why a lot of times when we pray concerning things we purpose to do in this world, we're not very careful to ask the Lord about it concerning what he thinks in advance. Because we don't want an answer from heaven that conflicts with what we want. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. That, that is a real issue. It sure is. There are very few people on the face of the earth that will get down on their knees and pray to God concerning anything that they might desire and come with an open heart to God wanting to know what he thinks about it very few people and so anyway we haven't got a whole lot of time we need to go quickly to, to Ezekiel chapter 28 Ezekiel chapter 28 um, because in Ezekiel chapter 28 we learn some additional information about Lucifer from the very mind of God. I'm going to begin reading at verse 11, Ezekiel 28. And you would do good if you make marks in your Bible to write Isaiah 14 here in conjunction with Ezekiel 28 so you can remember that these are two of the main passages in the whole Bible that teach us what we need to know about Lucifer. And by the way, Studying about Lucifer is studying about you and me. Because we're alike. Verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, when we read this, we, our, our thoughts go immediately to the king of Tyrus, which doesn't seem to be Lucifer. But if you'll study this carefully, and it's one of the things you'll overlook if you're not careful, he's obviously talking about Lucifer and not the king of Tyrus, and here's the reason why. The next verse. Thou hast been in Eden... The garden of God. Well, the king of Tyrus wasn't in Eden. It was Lucifer that was in Eden who tempted Eve, which resulted in the fall. 
He goes on to say in verse 13, Every precious stone was I covering. The sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold and the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee. Notice this. In the day that thou wast created. This book does not hint in the slightest that there's any other creator than Jesus Christ. And God created Lucifer. He created him. And it says so right here. Verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. In other words, Lucifer was doing what God created him to do. And he does that for everybody. He created you to do something. He created me to do something. Verse 14 goes on to say, Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. And then we have it. Till iniquity was found in thee. Some people who do not like the way God thinks, but do love the way they think, delight in entertaining the idea that God is really the cause of all the problems in the universe because he's, after all, he's God. And if he didn't want it to turn out the way it turned out, why, why didn't he do something about it? I learned years ago that the biggest mistake you will ever take is coming up with your own idea about God and why he would think a certain way or do a certain thing and somehow or other try to make that fit this little puny finite mind that we have. And that's exactly what it is, a puny finite mind that can't even begin to comprehend the infinite, omniscient, omnipotent God. Who in the world do we think we are that we can down here, be down here on this earth and divine the holy God and know him any other way than by his own personal revelation of himself, which is the only way you can know him, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so if you want to know the origin of sin, it wasn't God, and he tells us so right here. Till iniquity was found in thee. What's he referring to there? He's referring to the most dangerous thing that an angel or a man could ever entertain in the course of their existence. 
It's the freedom to choose. Till iniquity was found in thee. God created Lucifer with a free will. And even though the Bible doesn't say that they were created in his image, they had enough of his image that they had a free will just like man has a free will. And we need to understand that from the record of God's word. I'm telling you that sin entering in the world had nothing to do with God. He is eternally innocent. He is the innocent Lamb of God. And any thought that our little puny minds could ever come up with that would blame God for any problem that doesn't fit our way of thinking it is proof on earth of what the Lord has said already about us. We are of our father, the devil, and the lust of our father, we will do. We're just like him. Folks, there's been a time that I did not know this, but I'll tell you one thing, I'm glad I do know it. And one of the reasons I'm glad I do know it, and I can ponder it, is so that my soul can be convicted the way it should be. So that I can be broken the way I need to be. So that conversion has the possibility of taking place. So that I can learn to hate my life. Because if I love my life, I'll lose it. There has to be a reason for hating our life. And this is what it is, what you're hearing right now. We are like Satan himself in our nature and in our character. Every wicked thing imaginable is described by the God of heaven who made us. And he knows us up one side and down the other. He's the one that said our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He's the one that inspired Mark to write Mark chapter 7. Out of our mind proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, and on and on it goes. Thirteen of them. There's nothing good about us. We're totally depraved and deserving of hell. That's the message from, from heaven. It's a horrible message. I've said this many times. It's a, a horrible message, and this is why the world despises the truth and the preaching of the truth. This is why Paul said, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? This is the truth. Verse 16 by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I remember years ago, Pastor Kelly 
bringing a message in this church, talking about the things that we desire in our nature are the very things that will destroy us. The desire to be good-looking, the desire to be rich, the desire to be popular, the desire to have power and authority. And all throughout the scriptures, when you study any personality in the Bible that had these features or these characteristics, it destroyed them. We see it in the case of Samson with his strength. We see it in the case of Solomon with his wisdom. And there's all kinds of examples in the New Testament about money and how it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter in the kingdom of heaven. The things that we want in our nature are the very things that will destroy us. I'll never forget that message. I've thought about it so often. I didn't even intend to say it tonight, but it's, it's in my mind. And I'm so glad that it is. And that God can draw it out at any time to remind me that a lot of the things in my nature that I want are the most dangerous things in the world to want. And so what we have here is the conversion war. The conversion war. We want to convert God to think the way we do. The whole message of this book is to convert us to be the way he is. And we don't want that. Matthew Chapter 13 and verse 15 goes right to the heart of why people are lost. They close their ears. They close their eyes. Lest they be converted and I should heal them. That's the word that the natural man does not want is to be converted. Converted to what? Thinking the way God thinks living according to his way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we don't like it. And so there are a lot of things in the Bible that we do not want to believe. And the first one that I've got here is what I've already quoted to you. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 44 and 45. It says this, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. That's what Mark said. Out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. That's our nature. And abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. Did you know that there's no truth in us either? No truth. At all. We have no knowledge of the truth by nature. 
we can be ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth apart from this reference point, the Bible. That's the only source. When he speaketh of his own, he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. That's what Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees, which I think Brother Charles just preached the other day and reminded us that every personality in the Bible is in some fashion or other a, a picture of our nature. Every single personality, no matter who it is, if it's Balaam, if it's Ahab, if it's Jezebel, if it's Judas, we have a traitorous nature. We sure do. And to think that Judas is not a message for you and me, that's a big mistake. I'm telling you, the most wicked human that you can ever know about on the face of the earth, even in our lifetime, like a Jeffrey Dahmer, a serial killer, a cannibal, is a picture of what we're capable of. And we don't want to hear that. And I'll tell you this, you'll hunt a long time to find a church where you're going to hear that statement made. You're going to hunt a long time, but it's here in this book. It sure is. And we're reading it right now. There are a lot of things in Scripture we do not want to believe is true. One of them is Romans 9. Matter of fact, there are churches that have split off totally away from the truth of God's Word into false teaching that's terribly false, such as Calvinism, and so forth. The idea that God created certain people to go to hell and certain people to go to heaven. And Romans 9 deals with this subject. And it's one of the main places you go to to study this doctrine of predestination. Well, Paul anticipated that the readers of what he wrote would think bad thoughts about God as a real result of what God was going to say. Well, let's read what he said. It's in Romans chapter 9, verse 19 and 20. Thou wilt say then unto me. Now, this is a result. Listen, we ain't got time to study it entirely, so I'm going to have to tell you quickly what it's about. It's about Jacob and Esau. These were brothers. They were twins. Jacob and Esau. And the Bible says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And he said that before they were born. And so the idea that God had this viewpoint, which in their mind is determinative. In other words, he's the cause of Esau losing his soul forever because God determined in advance that he was going to hate him. 
before he was even born, before he ever did anything. We see, we try to fit that into this puny little mind of ours. And what we do when we do that is we twist it around and we turn God into a monster. Somebody that really, he tells us we got a free will, but really we don't. According to that view of predestination, well, let me tell you what predestination really is from that passage. And I don't think this can be refuted. God predestined that if you choose right, you'll be blessed. God predestined that if you choose wrong, you'll regret it. If you choose to do right, you can have an expected end. If you choose wrong against his word, then uh, you're not going to know what a day is going to bring forth. But he tells you, regret, disappointment, an unexpected end, the very opposite of expected. That's what predestination is. It is predestined that if you choose right, you'll be blessed. It is predestined if you choose wrong, you'll be cursed. That's the message of the Bible. And so, Paul is anticipating that people are going to think about this and it's not going to fit their way of thinking. And so, what they're going to do is they're going to fault God. And that's what he says. Wilt thou say then unto me, why doth he find fault? Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? You see that statement? Who do we think we are with this puny mind to reply against God as though he's the one that has a fault? You see, if we do not discover very early in our Christian life to trust God and lean not upon our own understanding, we're going to royally mess up in many areas of life. And that's a given. Shall the thing formed he says, say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? You see, Paul was anticipating that this revelation would be questioned, and he was absolutely right. And it's very real in our present generation, and it may be real in your own experience as you've read the Bible and you've read it and you said, say within yourself, I don't understand this. And I don't understand why God would say that. And I don't understand how before Esau was even born, God hated him. I don't understand that. Well, folks, you've got to understand, first of all, that foreknowledge of the future, which is an attribute of God, he knows the future before it takes place. 
is not determinative. In other words, it doesn't determine a choice. It's just knowledge of the choice. And that's how you're supposed to understand it. Well, we haven't got time to dwell on that any longer. But let me give you another one. These are passages that we do not want to believe the way it's written. It's Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, and here's what it says. Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You know what that's really getting at? It's getting at your actual view of God. And are you going to have a higher view of somebody else in your earthly family? And even concerning yourself, that is going to be greater than the view that you have of him? You see, this is this is, goes to the very root of this conversion war. People read that and they don't like it. They say, I don't, I don't understand this. I mean, why would God say that I, I should hate my own family? Well, the Lord is really trying to teach us here with extreme examples so as to draw us out and to draw out our natural emotions. And we don't understand how in the world God could even say such a thing. But what he's actually doing here is he's forcing us to think about what he meant when he said to the church at Ephesus, you have left your first love. And if there's any relationship on the face of this earth that is more important to you than your relationship with me, then you've got a problem. And you're going to begin to think bad thoughts toward me. But he makes it very clear. You cannot be my disciple if you don't understand first love. You cannot serve me. You will misrepresent me to the world if you do not understand what I'm saying. Folks, you can't love your wife. You can't love your children. You can't love your best friend more than you love Jesus Christ. What does it mean to love him? It means to see him as he is. The glorious God in all his goodness and love and innocence. It's eternal innocence. He's not guilty of anything that is wrong. We are. We're the ones that are guilty. He's the innocent Lamb of God, and that's the message of the Bible. How about First uh, Samuel chapter 15 and verse 3? Here's what it says. I know we ain't got time to turn all these because, my word, I can't believe time. I could take this wash and just throw it because these things are so important for us to understand. But listen to me. First um, Samuel chapter 15, verse 3. The Lord is, is talking to Saul. 
And he says, go, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now, I don't know about you, but I've read that before, and I'd stop, and I'd get to thinking in my mind, why in the world would a loving God order Saul to go into that city and utterly destroy every living thing? Why would he do that? And the reasons did not fit my puny little mind. And you know what I did? I sat there and I got thinking to myself, that can't be right. Surely that's not the way God thinks. Surely that's not what he would do. Oh, yes, it is. And what is going to be our view of God if he says such a thing? And he did. Is it going to change our view of him? Are we going to convert God into being something other than he has revealed himself to be? God is good. And I don't care how you read that verse, it doesn't change a thing. I don't care how you read that verse, it does not, not change the fact that he is innocent. Innocent. I'm going to have to close with this and come back sometime later and give you this message because I'm, not, I'm a third of the way into it. <laughs> I have absolutely no knowledge of how to do a 35 or 45 minute message. It'll never happen. Not, I, I don't know how. But I'm going to close with this one. It's Matthew chapter 13, verses 49 and 50. It says, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall they be, there shall, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Many years ago, a man in this church who was actually the Sunday school teacher, his name was Peter LeBret, called me up and had me come to his house. And I went to his house, and Peter LeBret's favorite book in the Bible to teach was the book of Romans. I've never heard anybody teach the book of Romans with a more precise understanding and that man's teaching. And I just love to come in this church and sit out there and listen to Pete LeBret teach the book of Romans. And I went to his house, and he sat down with me, and he's very solemn, very solemn. He called me over there to ask me if I would teach Sunday school, that he wanted to retire. 
he did not want to teach anymore. And I was rather shocked. I, I never had a responsibility like that before. And uh, he told me that he felt like that this is what the Lord was leading him to do, was ask me to be the adult Sunday school teacher in his church. And I started, and I've been teaching ever since. But then he changed and began to explain to me one of the things that had him so troubled. And I said, what is it? He said, I cannot understand the doctrine of hell and why God, the loving God that he is, would uh, judge the lost that way in such a way that they would be separated from him for all eternity to come with no possibility of getting out of that place of eternal torment. And he was a broken man because of it. And there's a many a soul in this world, one of them including Dr. Billy Graham, who turned away from this doctrine. Because to, to him, in, his little, in his thinking, with his little puny mind, and all of us, that's what we've got, a little puny mind, and we're trying to, to fit the holy God and his judgments and his thoughts and his ways into this little mind of ours, the way we think. And when we think, when we think about what he says, we can't handle it. And so what we do is we try to convert it. We try to privately interpret it so that somehow or other it's not as bad as it appears to be the way it's written. The conversion war is what we're talking about. Let me tell you something, folks, at Calvary Memorial Church. If you're not careful, you come to this church and hear a multitude of sermons. And you'll go out and you'll privately start studying the Bible. And unbeknownst to anybody else, you have these little thoughts that slip into your mind where all of a sudden you begin to think bad thoughts toward God. Big mistake. Big mistake. How we think about his thoughts and his ways does not change the revelation he has given us of himself. And I can tell you that he is good. God is love. God is innocent for all time and eternity. And all those other attributes that we discover in Scripture concerning him. And so one of these days, we're going to see him as he is. And we're going to be like the angels. And let me just close with this. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, spoke about how the angels desire to look into 
the ark. Here they are, the cherubim, overshadowing the ark of the covenant. And they're looking down at the mercy seat, which has the blood on it. And then the ark, which is the coffin, pictures the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And they're, they're transfixed, just staring at it. Most people, when they see that, will give you this interpretation of what that means. And I'm going to change that. I'm going to give you something else to think about. When they look down at it, they're not trying to understand more of the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God as they look transfixed at that blood and that death, which is symbolized by that. You want me to tell you why they're looking at it? It's because they're mystified. With their knowledge of God, because they see him as he is, they're mystified that man created in his own image would massacre the loving son of God that came to save them. And they're mystified by it. How in the world could human beings do this to the Savior that they know and love? How could they do this? And so when they are desiring to look into it, that's what they're trying to understand. They're not trying to understand the gospel because, listen, folks, the gospel means nothing to an angel that's saved. And those that rebelled, there is no gospel for them. The gospel is for us. It's not for the angels. And I'm here to tell you that they are absolutely mystified that we could have done what we did in crucifying the Lord of glory and marring his visage more than that of any man. They are mystified by it. And they're transfixed looking at it saying, how could this be? That's how the angels think about it. Our time is gone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these uh, verses that we've studied and for this revelation from heaven that you've given us here in your word this reference point that is so necessary for us to see you as you really are. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.